series uh, and before we start series two. So uh, as always my name is Charlotte McDonald uh, and I am your co-host along with the lovely Halima Farouk. Nice to see you all again. Today we are joined by Daniel Taylor who uh, completed the bar course uh, and is a graduate from the BPTC. Is with Inner Temple which we are both with so a little bit of, little bit of bias will undoubtedly come up there um, uh, and is, in, is interested in pursuing uh, a, a career in the, at the criminal bar. Um, I will hand over to Halima to start with our questions. Absolutely, I'm, I am going to jump right in with Charlotte just made fun out of because that's my catchphrase. But yes, um, thank you so much for joining us, Daniel. I know that you've been quite, a, a, can I say fan? Or you've been quite a supporter of the podcast. Um, I think you were you're probably one of the first that went, ooh, I'd love to come on. And then we've, you know, push come to shove it's been quite some time getting you on but thank well, you so much for coming on pleasure pleasure no no we're all busy people and uh, and like <laughs> i say anything like this i think is uh, it, it can only be a good thing uh, for everyone yeah. concerned so so any way i can support anything like this i'm i'm all in favor so thank, thank you for you having so no thank no you. you're most welcome uh, and so you know really and truly the first question is uh, why you decided to become a barrister uh, what what brought you to the bar and then you know the area of practice that you're interested in yes absolutely so so my my story is probably a little bit different uh in comparison with others i've met at the bar so mm -hmm. i've come to the bar slightly later in life so originally i was actually a research scientist and uh, i spent many years at uh, a research institute undertaking phd study and uh, I did I did enjoy it. I found it very challenging. I, I really kind of got a lot from it. But what I found was that the, the science was not um, giving me what I wanted. There, were, there was something lacking um, or certain certain qualities uh, that, that, I, that I kind of was kind of craving that I wasn't getting from the science. And yeah. uh, one of my big passions in life is uh, I do a lot of improv comedy. So uh, I'm part of an improv comedy troupe and we do lots of public performing and it's all off the cuff, kind of supposedly hilarious, whose lines it anyway, <laughs> uh, type games and things. And it's something that uh, I've done for quite a while. And it was it was actually the show. I remember performing at a show and I got approached by someone afterwards and uh, he was actually a criminal barrister and he really loved the show. And he actually said to me, have you ever considered a career at the bar? And being a, a very naive scientist who uh, had never even heard of, uh, you know, what, what, what entailed what the bar was all about, I, I pressed mm -hmm. him on that. And he told me all about it and he told me the kind of, you know, what the job entailed uh, and the sort of things he did. And I realised this was exactly the kind of job I would love to do because it was the sort of thing I was doing in my spare time with the improv comedy. And I didn't realise there were jobs out there where you could actually earn money by doing that. So, so I thought this is a brilliant opportunity. So as when I finished the PhD and I, I stayed around and, and did a little bit of extra research, got some papers published, I then started researching and looking at how how I make, would make this transition. So uh, obviously I went and did the GDL and uh, mm -hmm. and then slowly made the transition, uh, you know, onto BPTC and, and, and as I said, aiming or projecting towards a career at, at the bar. 
Fantastic. I think amazing. It's, it's so important. Um, drama, I think, is something yeah. that has been a fascinating thing for all of us um, to see how many people have come from some sort of acting background, whether that's just mm -hmm. as a hobby or whether that's as a, as a profession. We, I've got um, uh, you know, fully trained actors who then came to the bar. And I think it's just an mm -hmm. such an interesting overlap, having both been part of the drama society. And I think this, it's that little thing that a group of us who could have could have gone down that route yeah. and it, but yeah. who needed a little bit of intellectual something else to add to it and yeah. I, I for me I always yeah. I loved drama but I found that I just needed something else to keep me going and somehow yeah. the bar has provided that little bit of overlap in the middle although yeah. I still have to do the creative stuff on the side so it is very interesting yeah. to to hear to hear that and uh, um that, yeah there's a famous quote, and I can't remember who said it, but someone once said that uh, all barristers are failed actors. And I, I don't know <laughs> yeah. who said it. Um, and it always makes me laugh when I think about it. And actually, when I put mm -hmm. it on Twitter before, it's often got a, quite a good response. But uh, I do secretly think that barristers do have a little bit of uh, the wanting to tread the boards uh, yeah. like actors do. <laughs> Um, but yeah. obviously there are there are many other skills and facets that a barrister needs to have. So it's not all about uh, you know oh, acting, sure. uh, you know being you know playing different characters and things like that. So uh, so yes, anyway, that's uh, that's my observation for this work. So, yeah. <laughs> so basically, we're all wannabe actors, really. You know, that's that's what I've heard. I mean, obviously, there's probably some disciplines of the bar which probably. I mean, I can't imagine uh, perhaps I'm being slightly unfair, but I can't imagine those who want to work in tax maybe maybe aren't so uh, uh that way inclined but uh from what <laughs> from what i've seen from what i've seen at the criminal bar I, i've seen lots of uh yeah. sort of prototype thespians kind of uh, standing up and uh doing some proper richard the third yeah uh, and but, i was, uh, I was but, shadowing qc yeah. whilst he finished <laughs> writing a play so you know we're little, oh, wow. he, he, he always always wanted yeah. that <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah um, yeah no it's it's i think i think like i say the bar there's so there's so many uh boxes you have to tick in terms of you've got to be uh like a logical thinker you've got to be a good researcher but you do have to be a good communicator and a good public speaker as well and, it, and it's there's just so much going on there it's so you've got to uh, spin so many plates to uh to kind of be fully formed if you see what i mean yeah yeah absolutely, no, I think absolutely. yeah yeah, yeah. Next, the next thing to know is um if you could tell us more about your your disability, and I'm gonna I'm gonna merge this with um, how you found uh, your your time at school, and then yes. if you could sort of gradually talk us through, because mm. uh, I think I think you're one of the few that we've had about the GDL. Uh, yes. Charlotte might correct me, but right. I'd be quite interested to know. Obviously, you're you're not just the GDL. You're obviously completely different profession as well who've then come into the bar so I'd quite yeah. like to know about um your disability and then how that sort of worked through schooling life your first degree and then how you found support yes. at bar school okay so so my disability is a spinal cord injury and uh I was actually hit by a car when I was 17 so this was back in 2001 so um again mine is a, a an acquired disability so, so uh I suppose I'm I'm in a slightly unique position in terms of I knew life 
as a non-disabled person and a disabled person. So I can actually make a comparison. Um, and when I, uh, after the accident and I start, I obviously uh, being a tetraplegic, I use a wheelchair uh, to get around and things. And I've got mobility basically from, um, or neurology as it's called the medical term, uh, from the chest downwards. So uh, I've, my, my hand dexterity is not great, but I can move my arms and things. Um, and I basically use uh, a manual wheelchair around the house and I use a power chair when I go out and about because it's easier to drive from and also I don't get my hands dirty and I don't end up being knackered all the time trying to get you know from point A to point yeah. B but um, mm -hmm. from my I mean bearing in mind my uh, I actually I started my undergraduate degree back in uh 2003 so uh, I've been around the block a few times and what I can say is I think I think universities take disability a lot more seriously than they used to so when I first started at university I don't think things like uh, um, fire plans and uh mm -hmm. you know ways of evacuating disabled people from buildings was really something that was taken mm -hmm. seriously back then i mean we are talking i mean i, I don't want to say on air how old i actually am but mm -hmm. uh you know i but like this i'm hitting uh i'm hitting a big milestone uh, ne uh next year so because uh, it's actually my birthday tomorrow not that i want to plug that uh, enormously uh, we'll say happy birthday anyway yeah thank you thank you next year's a big one and uh, so bear in mind i started undergraduate probably about 20 years ago and i do think um, the way things have progressed and the way people understand disability and the way disability is catered for these days uh, at universities, certainly with undergraduates, is, is light years ahead of uh, certainly what it used to be. Um, so, so, yes, I would say the support I got when I did my undergraduate was probably at the time about as good as one could expect but I think anyone undertaking undergraduate now would probably have a very different experience and probably a, a more positive experience as a result of that. Um, so, so that's probably, I hope that's answered your question in terms of undergraduates and uh, support I received and things like that. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh, when I finished my undergraduate, I, I then went on and did masters and did PhD. Uh, and this was all at uh, the, university's, uh, the University of East Anglia in Norwich. Um, so uh, so I, I, I did those, I was able to get some funding, which obviously came, uh, it came in quite useful. Um, and then when I made the transition over to GDL, I, I did the GDL also uh, in Norwich at, U, at the UEA Law School. And mm -hmm. from what I gather, I mean, obviously, I've never undertaken a GDL at any other institution. I only know the UEA GDL. But from my understanding, it, because it's an integrated course within the law undergraduate course at UEA, yeah actually quite a different beast because we shared mm -hmm. lectures with undergraduates uh, and we, we we did our assessments alongside the undergraduates whereas I understand that if you do a GDL at uh, say BPP or is it College of Law and um, City I think those are the the three main yeah. institutions aren't they um, I yeah. think obviously because you're just on a course with people just doing GDL 
um, and you, you're not in lectures with undergraduates, I think, I think the teaching is probably quite different. Um, and I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I do remember thinking, my goodness, I don't know how anyone is expected to do well on this course because the sheer amount of uh, the sheer amount, you know, doing a, essentially a law degree in seven or eight months, which I think was, uh, you know, the time scale we had. I remember thinking at the time, I don't understand how anyone has any time to do anything but just sit and not sleep for seven or eight yeah. months reading yeah. textbooks constantly um, and I'm sure it was probably the making of many people uh, because it certainly gives you a new perspective on life when you're trying to do that at the time but uh, it was a very very difficult and stressful period um, there's no denying that and I think it's probably just as difficult for someone who's able-bodied as it is for someone with a disability. And then in terms of uh, adjustments and support in that respect, were, yes. uh, was that offered in the GDL and how, how did you find that? Yes, so because I was associated with UEA, who I did my undergraduate with, um, mm -hmm. it was very easy to just uh, transfer what I had before when I was doing my undergrad. So my undergraduate was actually in biological medical chemistry, which is very different. It was <laughs> very different to law, but um, but what I did, what what I was able to do, which was very very helpful for me, because my hand dexterity is not very good and I struggle to write for long periods, I actually used uh, voice dictation software. Yeah. Um, and I trained up, I trained up Dragon Naturally Speaking, which I thought was a godsend, especially when you're trying to rattle off a, uh, you know, a long law essay in the middle of an examination. Yeah. So I was allowed to use that and uh, a laptop so I could, you know, dictate what I wanted to say and then I could go back and edit it. And they were also willing to um, give me, I think it was 25% extra time. I can't remember <laughs> if it was 25 or 50%, but I was allowed a little bit of extra time. So what I did was uh, I was able to read the exam paper and then make some very, very basic notes, you know, handwritten notes. And I could take those uh, and then I could then put them into some sort of order using mm -hmm. the uh, dictation software. So that's yeah. that's basically what I used um, for the GDL for exam, uh, you know, the examination components. And then there was uh, some coursework. Uh, attached to those as well which obviously wasn't quite as taxing because I wasn't under exam conditions. Of course and then in yeah. terms of bar school mm. and I want to know more about um, well, bar, yeah. bar school but also um, obviously all the qualifying sessions that we have to do at bar school how did you find that and again what was the, the adjustments like and what was the support like with the in because um i you know i've yeah. had a good experience but i don't know whether that's whether you share that experience as well yes so i was the in was very good because they did uh give me a um some money uh a bursary uh you know to because um i because I, when I did the bar course, I actually did it part time. So I was commuting mm -hmm. in from Norwich twice a week yeah. to mm -hmm. undertake it. So I could work in Norwich still. Um, and as I said, the inn was was very good. They they provided financial um, support uh, because I was commuting in, um, and then uh, sometimes I would have to get a taxi or a bus 
depending on weather conditions and things. But fortunately, I was coming into Liverpool Street Station, which actually isn't that far from City Law School. So it, it wasn't like it was the other side of London or anything. I was quite fortunate that, uh, you know, the direction I was coming in from wasn't a million miles away from where the university was. So, so that was very nice of them. I seem to recall, because um, I was undertaking the bar course when COVID hit. So, so everything kind of was thrown in the air uh, and it was a very, very confusing time. And I'm sure anybody listening to this who also was undertaking the bar course when COVID hit will, yep. will have flashbacks and slight trauma and PTSD over, you know, the, 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 way, we, the way we were left <laughs> hanging with assessments. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to relive that. Uh, I don't want to have flashbacks. But, it was terrible. It was for anyone who, who managed to avoid it. Yeah. Congratulations. Because oh, hitting was, in the middle was the worst, I think, because no one knew was, what was happening. You know, no one yeah. knew what it was going to be like. And I was on loads of committees with the senior staff to try and work out what the exam arrangements were even going to be. And they were saying things that I was like, but you haven't considered this, this and this. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. Yes, we haven't, and it went all over the yeah. place. So a difficult one, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it re it really was. It really was, and um, so because I the added complication was because I was commuting in as well from Norwich to London. Um, when COVID hit, it was it was a case of well, I'm not doing that anymore because uh, I'm not getting on a train during this pandemic. Uh, and, and everything kind of ground to a halt. There was a period where there was no teaching, but they were still talking about assessments. Um, but, but, the, but it was this kind of weird understanding where the university kind of said, well, you're still going to be assessed, but we're not going to teach you anything from this point yeah. onward. So there was this long eight or nine month period where everyone was kind of a bit dizzy and sort of wandering around going, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to be, are we supposed to be reading? You know, and it was a very, very confusing period, which I think in all fairness, I can't really blame anyone directly for that. That was as a result of obviously a once in a lifetime pandemic coming along. Um, so, so, so yes, that was something that, that was problematic. But what I will say is the, the, the only bonus to come out of COVID was um, all the inner temple uh, qualifying sessions all went online, online. Which, yep. which was brilliant because, yeah. because I was what I was doing was I was coming down twice a week for um, teaching at City. And then when there was a qualifying session, I'd have to come down maybe another once or twice a week. Um, just for that qualifying session and then go back to Norwich so so actually when they moved things online it made my life so much easier because all I had to do like tonight was log into a zoom call um, sit there and watch it rather than getting on a train and going to London so yeah maybe maybe one of the few benefits to come out of Covid is that the adaptability of having remote video calls and, and learning for qualifying sessions has made the whole qualifying session uh, situation so much easier than perhaps it used to be yeah I agree yeah, with that I think no. I always found it quite crazy as someone who lived in London yeah. even then trying to finish your call like there was I had some yeah. quite late 
um, sessions uh, and sometimes get trying even trying to get to the the thing on time was really difficult even though it was across London but because I struggled to get there quickly <laughs> because I can't yeah. move very yeah, fast yeah, and things like that and even then I did think for people who um, I've got a couple of friends who did it a couple of years before me who mm. yeah said exactly that they had to travel from across the country yeah. to do this one evening that we ended up being yeah. like a, a drinks with a, a, you know, a short lecture and a drink session which yeah. um, yeah. you know if, if in the past when it was the big you know big meals but um if mm. you're uh, if you didn't know inner temple um has been closed for the last couple of years to do project pegasus so we've not had dinners as a qualifying session um at mm. all and you can't even couldn't even go if you wanted to uh because it's been yeah. closed so it became a lot more lectures followed by drinks at the law society and things like that but yeah. i've seen now that even now some are coming back in person they're also live streaming it and i'm hoping yes. that qualifies mm. as a uh, still qualifies as a qual qualifies as a qualifying session um yeah. but uh right. but I, th I think that's a great you know middle ground of if you're there yeah. and you can go fab but if you can't yeah. then at least that is an and a successful option I think which is you know really important for these because yeah. that is just a crazy thing to expect anyone to do disability or yeah. otherwise is to yes. travel down yeah. the country for, for something yeah. so short yeah yes I completely agree and um and like I say I think also it's it's allowed so as well to do to undertake bar uh you know uh lectures and things like that you had to be there in person you had to sign a register yes to be there. And, and i always thought that was crazy that uh you had to essentially get on you know my my commute was but roughly about a five hour round trip to get from norwich to london and back again in a day and i couldn't help but think but i'm only there like i'm literally only there for like two hours and and it was it, there was absolutely nothing about that lecture that I couldn't have got from watching it online, but yeah. but I think what COVID's done is it's it's ch obviously changed everything yeah. in a way that no one could have possibly comprehended. But I do think probably the online learning option of watching something live is probably here yeah. to stay. And and yeah. and I'm of the opinion that um, doing things like that will only benefit people with disabilities. Um, mm -hmm immensely uh, not not that I, obviously it benefits people without disabilities as well but uh, there was a period i remember when i was uh, actually this was before covid uh, that the lift in uh, the city law school broke oh. it was broken yeah. for i thought i think it must have been at least three months it must have been something like that and of course what they had to do was they had to move everybody um because of me essentially being the wheelchair user they had to move everybody into a different room uh, around the corner and we were all packed into this tiny little room because they couldn't they couldn't do the lecture because i was coming there and it was problematic um and i and i just remember thinking all of this over a broken lift it was so uh, tedious and painful yeah. um that that actually if they put it online we could have all watched it at home it would have been cheaper for them it would have been cheaper for us because we wouldn't have to have paid for the, the transport costs and the commuting costs um and we probably would have had a better experience as a result i've, I've heard someone yeah. say a very interesting thing which it, it tags onto that which is actually disabled people ask for certain things to be changed and people push back against it and then the second it affects everyone 
yeah. then they then change it and you're like but we asked for this all along and you said it wasn't yeah. possible and suddenly when just a few more people yeah. need it and it's things like yeah. that yeah lifts or ramps or you know that, that help it helps everyone um, and, and particularly yes. with with making things digital it really has helped and it's for me you yes. know even yeah. even working hybrid which we you yeah. know disabled people for years have said let us do that mm-hmm. and they said yeah. no, you've always got to be in the office and yeah. you know yeah there's been times where I physically can't get up to go to the office but I can get to my desk yeah. my brain still yeah. works and I can work here all day and actually mm. that's been so beneficial yeah. for me in the last 18 months as a paralegal where there have been some yeah. days where I've gone I cannot yeah, I've not got a meeting, so I just need to stay at home, and there's been no issue yeah. at all. So why has that not been something all along? So let's hope, let's hope that people learn from this yes. and we enter a modern yeah. age <laughs> of change. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And funny enough, just as a little um, sort of add-on to this, uh, so actually, I I I posted on Twitter. This was probably back in 2018 or 19. I, I put this post on Twitter that really quite went quite viral, and I I posited the idea of doing virtual mini pupillages, and I said, you know, why isn't this something that chambers are doing? Why why can't pupils log in? And uh, you know, have a kind of virtual interaction or experience with with a, with a chambers rather than having to uproot and go yeah. to to London or somewhere you know where you want to undertake it. Because I I a couple of years or a few years back, I I, I was offered a mini pupillage in London, and the problem was uh, living in Norwich, I had to essentially book a hotel. I had to book two rooms, one for me, one for a helper. Um, and I, 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 because of the nature of um, the pupillage, obviously I was all over London. So I, I, mm-hmm. I asked the clerks, you know, where should I, where should I book a hotel? And they said, oh, just somewhere central is fine. But you know, you, it's a lot of money to mm-hmm. to book yeah. a room, let alone two rooms, for a whole week. Uh, and that yep. that's before you look at. Um, you know transport costs that's before you look mm-hmm. at eating out that's before you look at all these other facets so to undertake a mini pupillage somewhere like london when you don't live in london you haven't got a support network around you i mean you've got to put aside at least several thousand pounds yeah. to undertake a mini pupillage you're not paid to do so yeah with a virtual mini pupillage which is kind of what i was advocating for it, it becomes not only um, a more efficient way of undertaking it, but it also becomes so much cheaper. I mean, it basically becomes virtually nothing. You you have to pay yeah. nothing to undertake it, as opposed to the thousands of pounds you would have spent, yeah. you know, living in London for a week. And now places yeah. are doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I've exactly. seen some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. As a result well, probably, I, of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of segues nicely into our next question, which is about mini pupillage um, yes. and, you know, the experience that you've had with chambers and other uh, legal work experiences that you've conducted and whether yep. you found them accessible. So have you got more examples or has that sort of been the highlight example? Well, um, I think it's fair to say that access into chambers and sets um, is very antiquated and it's something that I don't necessarily blame Chambers for because of uh, the historical importance of Chambers being close to Inns of Court. Obviously, Inns of Court are very historic buildings uh, and Chambers have located themselves in very historic buildings. And to make very historic buildings accessible is very difficult. There's no way around Uh, making something that is several hundred years old suddenly compatible with people in quite heavy and large 
electric wheelchairs or mobility scooters um, or putting things like hearing loops in or, you know, uh, mm -hmm. electric doors. All of these kind of things are difficult, even with the best will in the world, but they also cost a lot of money to, to do. You know, putting retrofitting a lift into a very old building is not cheap and it's not easy. Um, and sometimes it's actually structurally impossible. Yeah. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's not even a, a starter. And, and these buildings are listed buildings. So, mm -hmm. you know, even to try and get around the legal loopholes that some of these listed buildings have is so problematic from the get go. So um, a hurdle that I hit quite early on. And mm -hmm. if, if you're someone fortunate enough to uh, get a mini pupillage at a chambers that is already wheelchair accessible, then to be honest, you don't know how lucky you are because um, if you get one at one that isn't accessible, then you're already, I think, on the back foot. But what I will say is that I think there is a uh, cultural shift that's happening at the moment. And I certainly know of one or two chambers that are starting to look at moving into more modern buildings. Yeah. And I think part yeah. of their raison d'etre and the reason they're doing that is actually so they've realized that actually they're not benefiting themselves. They're not benefiting clients. They're not benefiting future employees. Uh, and pupils by being in buildings no one can access so yeah, I yeah. think what they're realizing is they need to if you like um, catch up a little bit with uh, with other with other um, uh, areas of employment and other industries yeah. and they've said okay well actually we need to move somewhere a bit better and, I, and I've been in contact with people via you know LinkedIn and, and Twitter and things who've approached me and said oh you know we've just moved into this brand new building and we've done it basically so we can you know keep with the times and uh yeah you know we're, we're not going to get clients you know we're, you know if someone phones us up and says they want to instruct us and we say oh okay yes we'd love to be instructed by you um and they then say we're accessible and you turn around and say no why should they instruct you? Why should they use your services yeah. if you can't, you know, it's a service-based industry at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. If you're not providing a service that is good enough for the client, why, why would they stay with you? Why wouldn't they go elsewhere? So I think That's it true. is getting better, but we are, there's a long way to go, shall we say. And um, I think one would hope that in the next couple of years, we're going to really see um an, an expansion of um yes the the bar becoming more physically accessible and the problem with disability is as probably both of you are so aware disability is one word and when you when you're trying to talk about someone with a disability is in you can't categorize you can't put people in boxes you know everyone's disability is unique to them and mm -hmm. and their needs are unique to 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 other people so cater for all system um mm -hmm. which which benefits everyone with a disability because at the moment uh, it's just impossible to do that financially and even with the best will in the world but i think we are getting there now but i think we've still got a long way to go absolutely yeah, i think that's, I, it's I so important yeah there's and i know exactly that i know a couple of chambers who have moved for example four paper buildings have moved out of four paper buildings which that, says quite that was, a lot but i went yeah. to a few sort of during um during pupillage interviews and it was fascinating that 
a couple had managed to get lifts into the listed buildings and actually what one of the thing I was talking to some of the um, juniors who were there who said this was life-changing for us as as able-bodied barristers who didn't have to then take things down four flights of stairs because if you know all of the ones in Temple they are just straight like five-story tiny narrow buildings and it's stairs and stairs and stairs and she said you know Mm. when I had to get 14 bundles down suddenly I could do that without having to you know hurt myself on the way down and just things like that and it's just so important for everyone um and say yeah that links back to benefit benefiting uh disabled people that benefits everyone and I think I want to highlight the point of um of clients because I think that's so important that we talk about access for us or for barristers actually exactly that we're providing a service and if if those that use the service can't get to us then then what's then what's the point and even if you do say oh we'll find a room somewhere else it's not the same it's not you welcoming into yours it's saying you're different and it's taking you elsewhere i just want to ask we're we're reaching the end now this will come out in a few a few weeks later than when we put it out but um if you can't tell by our tired tired voices um we have just reached (laughs) the end of the pupillage uh, application process for 2022 it's been a long journey for all of us um and i know many of you out there and listeners um as well have uh, been applying so whether you got it or not well done for getting through this time of year please relax over the summer Please, I've had, I've seen already seen tweets of people being like, right, what do I do now to get next year? No, you need to relax first. But uh, we're going to jump in with the with a question about how that was for you. What was your application process like? How accommodating were chambers? Were uh, interviews over Zoom? Any in person, or um, if even if just the written application process? How did you uh, talk about your disability? Did you talk about your disability? Um, and even on sort of the declaration page, have you got any advice for people who aren't really sure how to approach their disabilities um, in in that process? Yeah. Uh, so. I would, I mean, I I always go into these things saying you should be as honest as possible and put put your, you know, put your cards on the table. And uh, I don't think it really helps anybody if you hold anything back. Uh, I mean, obviously, it depends on the nature of the disability. Obviously, mine is quite obvious. So I don't think it would have uh, benefited me at all to pretend I wasn't in a wheelchair, uh, because obviously I would have uh, I would have come undone very quickly uh, if I'd been called for an interview. but uh, but so so my my I suppose my yeah my take on anything and it's not just disability it's just in general I always think the best approach is to put cards on the table and be upfront and honest as possible uh, because I think at the end of the day you've got someone reading your application who is a human being will understand uh, that life doesn't always uh, follow uh, a logical plateau. Uh, you know, you've got someone who you would have thought has um, compassion and understanding. They've been through it themselves. It might not be recently, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's better to be upfront and honest and appeal to someone's sensibilities than it is to try. Um, and also, I don't think hiding anything really benefits you at the end of the day I just I just don't I wouldn't understand the logic of, of doing that so in my applications obviously with the gateway and with the off the gateway applications uh, there's often a box you tick I think or a, a declaration yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I always filled that in and I said exactly what my disability was and what I needed if called for interview and I don't think 
I'm pretty confident. Obviously, I I wasn't I wasn't privy to the conversations had, uh, you know, in in those committees and things. But I, I really don't think that um, the disability really played into any decision making. Perhaps in calling people for interview. I, I mean, I can't swear to that, but uh, I'd be surprised if it if it did make any difference. So, my advice is always. Yes, um, you know, say say what it is, put your cards on the table. But also, I think sometimes, you know, you find yourself um, with some of the questions they ask. It's often interesting because you can use elements of things you've come across with a disability that you can weave into uh, answers on your pupillage application. So I think one of the questions is often why do you want to be a barrister or you know have you come across hardships or problems uh, that make you resilient well I would argue that if you've got a, a disability I often say if you've got a disability it's kind of like having a part-time job you didn't apply for so you know, <laughs> I love it's, that. It's, it's, I love it's an added kind of part-time job that you know I, I didn't I didn't fill an application form for that but yeah I have this job uh, and because I've got this job that I didn't ask for and didn't want it's another added kind of level of complication that people who don't have a disability don't have to deal with so actually I think sometimes that appeals to chambers because you're almost saying look I've done all this stuff you know here's a list of uh, you know my qualifications and a list of all my work experiences and I've done all these even though I've had this extra level of complication which uh, in some ways puts me at an advantage to other people because it involves problem solving it involves uh, probably an extra level of resilience it involves um, lateral thinking that perhaps is a good way of demonstrating why you're a good candidate for the bar. It is uh, one of those ones that I, we, we talked about a couple of times before, but how when you are looking at those questions, I for a long time didn't want to put that down. I thought that I must have something else that I've done. But actually, that is yeah. it is the biggest thing to an obstacle that you've you know um, you know overcome or yeah exactly like you face adversity <laughs> or anything like that. It's yeah. it is the example, yeah. and I sat there, you know, racking my brains for other examples, and I'd eventually come back to, why wouldn't I use this? Every um, every guest we've had has sort of had the consensus of definitely declare in the end bit of do I need any adjustments? Um, that's for you. That's got nothing to do with your application. That is purely for you. So always right there. And then if you want to use it in questions beyond that, then that's your that's your choice. Exactly. But we never ever want to discourage anyone from putting it in that box because it's so important that's that you get what you need to make sure that you're yeah. equal. And it's not about putting you above other people. It's just making sure that you can do what other people can do. And exactly. I took a long time to ask for that because, you know, silly things when you, you've got you know, a 15 minute reading task, me getting that extra five minutes makes a lot of difference for me when exactly. I haven't been able to process in the first five minutes because of my conditions or something. Yeah. So it's exactly. so important um, to yeah. have that um, and not and not be worried that you're in any way. Yeah. You're not disadvantaging everyone else. Exactly. yeah you're yeah, not yeah. taking it away okay. so I think it's, it's so important to hear that and yeah um as you say when it's in person and um it's it's physical disabilities you need to be able to get through the front door <laughs> that's always yeah. a, a, a big start a very big start um were your interviews this year all uh zoom or did you have to go in person and if so how was that 
No, I did have, I'm trying to think now, it was all a bit of a blur. Well, I also, an added complication I had was I was actually really, really ill over pupillage season. So I had, I actually, I actually, believe it or not, I had, I actually developed septicemia. So I was like in A&E and intensive care. And I remember being in there and all I could think about was trying to get home and do more pupillage application oh, it probably wasn't which probably wasn't be, much a, wasn't probably a healthy mindset to have i mean if that isn't determination <laughs> yeah i i must admit i that, writing it i don't think i could have been ill and i'm mean, lucky i sort of paced myself but i did have yeah. one time that they called me to tell me i had a second round interview and i said i'm right. so sorry for the background noise and she's like that's okay but can i ask where you are and i was like yeah. I'm in A and E, and she's like, "Oh, for someone else." I was like, "Nope, for yeah. me." And I've been here for eight hours, <laughs> and right, it was just, yeah, yeah, it was such a sort of uh, yeah. yes. We're a lot of unfortunately, and um, we can't escape sometimes our our illnesses no. and yeah. the things that go along with everything. But it is that's what makes the yeah. pupil one of the pu- things I'm not keen about with the pupillage application system is that on that day, if you've not handed it in, that's it. There are no changes. You can't go afterwards. You can't say I've been in hospital because you should have submitted it a week before. There's you know there yeah. is absolutely no extension, which is something that I I've never I've not come across anyone who's had that as an issue yet. But yeah. it is quite it's such a hard deadline that you know yeah. there's, no, there's no leeway on that at all so if you no, did get ill no yeah well no it was it was I mean like um so fortunately my, my other half is actually a doctor and I'm absolutely convinced if she had not uh you know if she hadn't been around I probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you it was that bad and I remember at the time feeling just dreadful um but I remember overcoming it the first time managed to get all the applications in and then it hit me again and it was during interview season and I remember one interview I actually had a temperature of 45 degrees and I actually had to undertake this interview with a massive and I did say to them look I'm really ill I'm not I do not feel well at all I've got this really nasty uh, infection and uh, and that, you know it was basically a case of I either did it or I threw in the towel and I couldn't do it and uh, I did decide to go ahead with it and I think it was probably I would be interested to see that video of me back again because <laughs> I think I was delirious just trying oh, to gosh. trying to get through this pubic injury in this delirious uh, sort of frenzied state and things like that but um, did, but, uh, did what, Chambers what, yeah. did did that Chambers uh, not uh, sort of want to reschedule or was it like this is this take it or leave it no unfortunately it was a case of you do it or the application's dead so uh, Mm. I thought to be honest I was of the opinion where I thought well it's a bit of extra practice so I might as well just do it because um I I I can't even remember which chambers it was but I just remember thinking I just need the experience of just doing more and more interviews you just become battle hardened to it so uh yeah the more I do the, the better I get and if I don't get it I don't don't care so, I mean uh, that's a good way of looking at it Daniel I see you're trying yeah, to find probably, the positive probably <laughs> it probably is but 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 what I what I would like to say is that um I think what we forget sometimes is um and this is I suppose this is the Jerry Springer like moment final thoughts but uh but you know like pupillage just even applying is just so difficult and it's so taxing and it's so draining that I definitely get how people become really ill with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially especially when you go through all of that and you don't get anything at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely get why people become really quite mentally ill and, and very ill as a result of it. And I think 
to be honest, what I think the profession ought to be doing, what I think the bar, you know, the bar in general ought to be doing is, I think they need to make it clear to people, don't make yourself ill. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's important, but it's not, your health is so much more important. Yeah, it's sort of seen as the Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and it really is. It really is. And, and I was really ill. And I think because I was caught up in the moment and because it was so important to me, I, I was probably willing to let my health slide quite a lot. And yeah. that was really I look back on it now and I think, God, what was I doing? You know, this was yeah. this was mad. But but you don't think like that at the time. No. You're sort of so focused and so um, uh, sort of obsessed with with kind of getting through the next hurdle and the next hoop and things um, that you can lose sight of the wood from the trees. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I do think that there's a great deal of work that needs to be done at the bar and with the application process where I do think there needs to be a bit of a buffer where where, like you say, you know, like people get ill, bad things happen. And when things happen like that to us, our, we shouldn't be thinking about bar applications or pupillage applications. We should be concentrating on getting better, not mm-hmm. panicking about not getting applications in, if you see what I mean. And yeah. Yeah. I think that is a big area that the bar needs to work a great deal harder on. Yeah, I think that's it. That is massive. And it, it yeah. does have a lasting <laughs> effect. And I, I had a call with my doctor this morning uh, and mm. I had to say, I don't know if this is a side effect of this change to, you know, my medication or whatever, or whether I have been so stressed for the last month and a half. I've been sleeping so little. I've been waking up in panics and I, Mm. I still am. And that's the problem is that now that that, all that's finished, it's like my body is so worried that I've not been writing or I need to wake up because I've got, you know, it's a prep pre and interview (laughs) that I've not recovered from it. And it is a very difficult period. And thank goodness it was my last one, but it, you know when I've, I've it was my fourth year and it takes it out of you every year oh, and it's very draining um yes. so yeah that's a massive that's a massive part um and yeah I compare like, it I compare it to doing like um it's like being in a boxing ring but for weeks and weeks and you're constantly mm-hmm. losing the rounds against like a, a Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali character and you just feel physically and emotionally and psychologically exhausted and there's really no comparison I can make to the pupillage application process. No, I've been trying to think process. anywhere else. No, yeah. you, you can't you can't compare it to literally anything else. And I'm mm-hmm. absolutely staggered because I I I I'm, I've got a kind of side hustle with psychology. I do a lot of psychology research and things. And I'm amazed no one has ever hooked up someone to like some sort of uh, <laughs> monitor to look at the stress that people go under when they're undertaking pupillage interview because next year that'll be great (laughs) so so guys if you're a psychologist and you're listening to this podcast i want to see some psychological research into (laughs) the trauma the psychological trauma that people undertake when they're undertaking pupillage interview because it is a huge Mm -hmm. area that yeah and and you know they're they're such different type of interviews like obviously we we've all had interviews before but this time around i i really you know did the proper thing so I now know how to tackle them and I'm going to do them again next year and I know exactly what to expect but when I when I sort of got my first interview offer um I was like oh my god I'm so nervous because obviously I've had interviews before but this is a pupillage interview this is different and I live on the outskirts of London so I'm sort of traveling two hours in or an hour and a half in for a 15 minute or a 10 minute interview um 
and it's like what on earth are they going to ask like this isn't going to be your normal uh yeah. kind of interview uh so it's yeah. it's really it's a it's a you know whole different beast it really it is. is it really is there's no there's no comparison with any other type of interview in my opinion um so you know uh, it's very hard to convey to other people who haven't been through it if you absolutely. See I mean. yeah absolutely. yeah yeah all right we've come to the sort of stage which we we asked the last three in a yeah. in a little chunk uh, regarding sort of linking back to your disability whether this is within the period of time you know, bar course applications etc um or just a, an interaction that's happened in that time or whether you want to go back to the science days <laughs> before that right. um uh, i'm happy with whatever but what's been a really good experience that you've had with someone regarding your disability um uh, you said this is memorable and this was just something that you remember that's, uh, someone being brilliant with you yeah yeah so um yeah i uh, i remember when i was applying to marshalling um living in Norwich I, I didn't really want to come to London and do marshalling so I was looking in East Anglia for places I could go and marshal and I went to some different courts and uh the the courts uh themselves are not really much better than a lot of chambers and sets in terms of accessibility so they all have these flip-up chairs and uh you know it's impossible to get a wheelchair in and you know sometimes the lifts are broken in the buildings and things oh, like that it's <laughs> It's just, uh, yeah, it's a real, it's a real chew. It's a real pain to try and, uh, you know, arrange these things. And and the judges I followed were perfectly nice people, um, but it was like the system around them and it was the buildings that really let them down. But I did have a really good experience. And uh, I, I will say now that I think Cambridge Crown Court is one of the best mm. courts I've ever been to in terms of accessibility it's absolutely brilliant and it, and it was so accessible um i was actually able to access every single part of that mm -hmm. building and uh the judge who was absolutely fantastic judge cooper who uh was one of the judges who sits at cambridge was so friendly and accommodating to me um when i when i arrived um you know i used to sit with him and have lunch with him and the other judges and things like that and to just be somewhere where you knew that disability was not an issue whatsoever mm -hmm. and i could do pretty much whatever i wanted the same as anybody else was a real yeah. revelation for me and it was the first time i think undertaking any work experience anything to do with the bar where i actually the disability made no difference whatsoever and uh, yeah, I, was, I will always remember that as being a really positive uh moment there haven't been many in my journey <laughs> yeah. but that was that was definitely that was definitely one of them brilliant well yeah. on on that on that point of there yeah. haven't been many uh if we flip to the the other side <laughs> has there been yes. we, we won't end on a bad note but uh has no, there no, been no, just no, something no. that you've just gone that one thing has just highlighted the the real uh issues that are going on or just something particular or something even just something someone said that um has stuck I with you the, those are the kind of things you tend to bury aren't they and uh, you don't yeah. really <laughs> think too much about but uh, I, I would go back to the whole lift thing in the law school uh, not working for several months and um you know just like that no one really cared and like you yeah. know the engineer like they didn't even call the engineer for like at least two weeks and it, yeah. you know so i used to well it's still broken it's not going to miraculously fix itself you know why is it someone called an engineer so i do remember that being very um uh frustrating shall we say yeah uh, but and i can it was 
I can yeah yeah and I I can sort of imagine that you know you said that yeah. everyone had to move into a smaller room yeah. and then yeah. you probably felt that that's your fault and you know well, yeah. you probably yeah. Yeah. and that's not well, that's not right you know exactly and I think the thing was it was so obvious why we were moved to this other room uh yeah. you know you didn't you didn't have yeah. to be genius to work out all oh, the lists broken we're gonna have to move everyone in this room so dan could access the the lecture um yeah. and of course i knew i knew i hated that room i knew everyone else hated that room so you couldn't help but feel you were somehow responsible for everyone's yeah. grief so, uh, so, yeah. very not not nowhere near a similar but um in the old city where they used to have the bptc uh, uh, uh gray's in um yes the, that's where i was yeah, yeah. so the lift yeah. uh the the building has uh, a basement the ground floor first floor yeah. second floor yeah. the lift only goes to the first floor yes, uh, and i was i was part. put in the second i was you're on uh, about the same lift <laughs> uh, yeah same lift but i was scheduled to be uh, yeah. on the schedule was on the second floor and i had to yeah. go to them and be like I specifically said, please never have a room here. And of course, we then had to move it. And yeah. lucky by that point, my it was only my group who were all yes. my friends, like really close yeah. friends who were cool with it. But even then, I felt like I was like, no, I should put up with this. And then my, my yeah. teacher was like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. that's their yeah. fault. They scheduled it wrong yeah. in the same way that it's their fault that the lift wasn't fixed. And yet somehow yeah. you just feel this burden of, I literally was apologizing to everyone in my group. Yeah. And they said, it's a different room. It doesn't bother us. Yeah. But you still feel yes. that just for that time I, yeah you know what i completely forgot it didn't go up to the second floor yeah. but i had exactly <laughs> so I, had exact, I had exactly the same problem exactly that now you mention it i remember the first day i turned up i remember going well how do i get to that room oh you can't oh okay then uh you know like oh oh yeah this you is probably knowledge i should have had before i actually so so mm. that was uh that was really shocking and and to be honest not that i want to give you flashbacks or anything but trying to do those uh, flipping litigation exams across the internet when they kept on crashing and uh, they kept on cutting out and we were being, what's that thing where they watch you proctored? Yeah. My God, that, that really pushed my buttons because I remember one exam, I, it crashed twice and they failed me twice because of the system, you know, and I actually, I was almost at the end of the exam and then it crashed twice and it was an automatic fail. And I was so angry, oh, so angry about that. Yeah, that but, whole system but, was horrific. I mean, I was, I almost said I was lucky enough to go to, to be the one yeah. type of people who got reasonable adjustments. So I had to go to different test centers, except they sent me yeah, to different exactly. cities. And then two yeah. of my, my, my ones got wiped because um, they, they gave yeah. me questions that didn't um, actually yeah. have the correct answers attached to them. So yeah. you know, they'd be talking so, about four <laughs> people and then the quest, the answers would be like, you know, 100, yeah. 120 or yeah. 100. 50 and you're like but you've asked me about people yeah. so um was, yeah i so i actually had to reset every uh well those one exam luckily one of them i still passed even though things went horrifically wrong but the whole system went terribly and yeah. what's awful is hearing that it's happening again to someone's you know we're, yeah. we're nearly two years on and it's happening again yeah. to people this year yeah. we should yeah. have learned from this two years ago and i think that's a really big yeah. uh really big point so yeah thank yeah. you for bringing that back up again because i've, I've seen yeah, it on twitter yeah. recently now it's important not yeah. to let it be forgotten really because we've seen it oh, you know, no, on twitter no, recently i've seen people having exactly this great. issue again um yeah. on a on a lovely positive note to finish it all yeah. off um if, yeah, you, you know what's coming but if um what would you like someone to take away from this i say this podcast but your journey generally um if there's like one little snippet that you'd like them to sort of a little sound bite um or to, um, to, to sort of say this is what um you should focus on or a little bit of uh, encouragement or something 
what you have to remember is, and I think uh, when, whenever someone with a disability talks to me about the bar and things, what I always say is, don't forget, this is an incredibly difficult profession. This is not an easy profession that anybody, regardless of disability, should enter into uh, lightheartedly. You know, it's something that really is very taxing for people of all uh, abilities or disabilities. And I suppose what I always say to people is, um, just bear in mind, even people without disabilities struggle uh, with, you know, the bar course and with the bar in general. And I think you have to, you have to have an enormous amount of resilience and um, an ability to bounce back. And it's almost like saying, if you don't have those in the first place, or if you don't have that ability, regardless of anything going on in your life, then think twice or really give it some thought because I don't think anyone really wants to go down a road or go down a professional route, which perhaps they're not suited for, or perhaps, you know, something might happen to them further along the line, which might make them think twice. And because let's yeah. be honest, it's, it's, it's a very, very um, expensive uh, career to go into as well, isn't it? Let's be completely honest about this. Um, you, 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 you can't really do it on the cheap. It's got to be, uh, done with with uh, commitment and dedication and you know, the chances are you'll have to work alongside this course or you'll have to do lots of work pr prior to doing the course mm -hmm. and I always think that perhaps people rush into this course or they rush into this profession because they think it's something that perhaps it isn't and I think a little bit of premeditation and a little bit of forethought before going into it it can only benefit everyone because guess what you might look into it and think oh actually this isn't quite what I thought it was perhaps I'm better off going down a different route or doing something else um, but rushing into it and then realizing when you've spent tens of thousands of pounds on something like this um, and then realizing oh actually this isn't quite what I thought it was or actually I don't think this has the right um, uh, I don't have the, the right character traits or right abilities for this. I say better you realise that sooner rather than later. Um, and that's not to say it's not all possible. It is possible. But I would say 80% of it is mental, 20% um, physical. So, so make sure you're, you, you, you realise that um, and that you can come to terms with that rather than uh, rushing into things. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's probably what Charlotte and I would say. We'd probably say it in a less uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, less well way. way. Yeah, we're a bit yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I was trying to back home that point, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you Brilliant. so much. Thank you so much for coming on and and for thank all your you. support on Twitter. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a uh, yeah a little while trying to get get you on because of us and our, <laughs> our both things happening so thank you so much for coming yeah. on and um for your support and i'm hoping uh that yeah everything goes well uh in in the future year hope you can get a, a little Thanks. break and uh and yeah. you did tell us before but uh you don't think you said it on air but 
good luck with your yeah. wedding. Uh, Thank and you. <laughs> very exciting things and happening. And happy birthday for tomorrow. Happy birthday for tomorrow. The big things, the big things. Lots of cake. So, so yeah, that's really cool. All the cake. Thanks so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As I said, this will be coming to the end of season one soon. And we're going to do a little round off, a couple of short, maybe episodes just having a talk about things that have gone on what we've learned from this and what else has been going on so in our lives as well um, and a little roundup of the pupillage season uh, on top of that just with the two of us uh, before we go back to having more guests on for season two so if you are interested in joining us for season two uh, please do get in touch um, that will probably be recorded uh, in a month or so's time uh, so we can have a little bit of a break in between but uh, until then thank you so much for listening thank you to my lovely co-host as always Halima for oh, all the questions um uh, and <laughs> it's lovely to see you <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah we hope um we hope that everyone is is well after people's season um and until next time you've been listening to disabilities not a bar goodbye everyone thank you Bye.